Hello, everyone, and it's uh, nice to be back. We appreciate you bearing with us while we took a little break from recording. Uh, we're glad to be back to, to doing the podcast, and we have a lot planned for Wilderness Voice going forward. So, I'll, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy Dad and I's uh, discussion today on the topic of grace. Hey, man, it's good to be back. Uh, been real busy. Work. Ministry, family life, college life, uh, farm life, lots of stuff. So, hated that we took so long a break, but uh, now we have a little bit of breathing room. So, glad to be back and going. Uh, we're going to start today on uh, probably be several parts. However, don't expect when we say several parts for them to come just back to back to back, but we will label them as part one, part two, whatever. But today we're going to talk about grace. We've been teaching a Bible study uh, at the mission about grace for about the last two months. We haven't got that far because it's very key that we understand this. But with the podcast, we don't want to just do Bible studies. We want to do application of Christianity and life, which gets us around to the definition of grace so preaching all over I've asked this question many many times you know I like to preach open floor so I'll ask question hey you know what's the definition of grace someone always wants to answer immediately and they say it is unwarranted measure or undeserved favor which that's what we were taught And that is the Hebrew definition of grace from the Old Testament. However, the definition of grace that's used in the New Testament is actually the Greek word charis, which the definition of the word is the divine touch upon a human heart and the reflection of it in the life thereof. So think about that. And... I'll get Elijah to go ahead and read the full... uh, The definition? Yeah. Um, If you look up uh, grace and do a little research on it, uh, you see where we kind of went wrong in defining it. Um, Going through translations, we were able to, you know, people settle on the definition of grace they want instead of the one that was used back then. And uh, anyway, after doing a little research, you know, Dad and I found that uh, this is the actual um, breakdown of, of what grace, the definition of grace is. Um, it says, in the New Testament, the word translated as grace is the Greek word charis, for which the strong concordance gives this definition. Graciousness of manner or act con- Abstract or concrete, literal, figurative, or spiritual, especially the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life thereof. All right, so if we look at that definition, we can see things that that change things immediately. So let's just go ahead, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. 
Okay, so we're saved by grace, all right? Even by the very definition that he gave in Ephesians, do you not see that it's the divine touch upon the human heart and the reflection of it in the life thereof? So in places like Acts 11, just 23, he, he, Scripture says that he saw grace was upon him. That, that's an easy definition because Paul's making a statement, I see the divine touch on your heart. It reflects in your life. So by that measure of grace, where do we stand? So think about this. We've all been taught what it was, what it is, and most people are not willing to ask the questions. Why? One, it's easier to stay with whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, it's way, way simpler when it comes to spiritual matters or doctrines to stick to whatever you were raised with. You know, I call it the gospel according to Grandma. And, uh, man, I argued that for years with my wife because she would argue her point she was raised in. I would argue my point. But, and hey, not knocking grandmas, I was blessed with two very godly grandmothers, and I thank God that I had them in my life. But let's just, let's just move ahead. Okay, so what if we're wrong? What if what we've taught and have been, what if we've been taught and what if we're teaching is not correct? What if it's wrong? Do we just continue in that? just to make ourselves comfortable? Or do we challenge ourselves with what Jesus really meant and implement that in our lives? And then you might ask, why is this so important? Well, true grace in your life causes a reaction inside of you that you cannot help. Have you guys ever met somebody that you just instantly knew? Man, there's something different about this person. I see grace all over them, or I see the goodness that's in them. It pours out of them. That's a person that's been touched by grace. Now, Scripture said, not of works. So, you know, a lot of you guys that are listening may be church or not church. We don't know. It's not about church. It's about life. But, you know, you, you still may think, well, what does this matter? Well, why it matters is because as a believer, if we're truly touched by grace, it's going to pour out of our life. And that's not a working gospel. It's just a natural effect of what happens when God does something in your life. It, it, it means that you have to live it out. It's not enough to be to just go to a meeting uh, God gave me a quote during when we first started teaching this. It, it's just, I was sitting there thinking, we really want a God that we can build a building, a nice place, comfortable place to go visit him in when it's convenient. We do not want a God that dwells with us or within us because then it requires something of us. Mm -hmm. It's like that. It's... I was having to read Kierkegaard for school. He, he said that, you know, the Bible is very simple and easy to understand, but we pretend to not understand it because we know that the minute we understand, we have to live by it. 
we're probably going to have several quotes in this series from this guy because absolute profound what he wrote. And he was really ostracized in the time that he was out there because he really challenged both sectors non-believers that dealt with philosophy but he really challenged the church because uh he saw what christianity truly was supposed to be and you know one of the examples that i've used over and over in this bible study about seeing grace i was watching the news which i don't do that often because it's normally bad but i was watching the news when that police officer in Dallas was convicted for going in the wrong apartment and shooting and killing a guy. Okay, one, I had no idea when I first saw this that the guy she killed was a preacher. He was a missionary. Uh, spent his days ministering and trying to, he was a refugee himself from a war-torn country, and he spent days trying to help people learn English and learn job skills so they could get out of this refugee situation they were in. Uh, had the privilege to preach in a place like that in Nashville, Tennessee, and it, man, just touched me. I can't even describe, it'd take five podcasts to tell you guys everything that yeah, happened definitely. there. But the grace that was on those people, man, were just, it flowed off of them. Well, what I was touched by in this case was the guy who was killed's brother asked to speak at the, uh, what do they call it, witness impact statement in a trial before sentencing. He stood up, turned and looked at the woman that had killed his brother. And he said, I forgive you, we forgive you. It's my desire that through this, you would come to know Jesus. And man, it just floored me, man. Because so often, even if we are a believer, or if we are a right, you know, think that we're in right standing, a good citizen, real quickly when something bad happens, Mm -hmm. we turned to wrath and I saw pure grace in this young man 19 or 20 years old man when he said that and then he asked the judge can I give her a hug so you guys think about that for a minute now I've dug further into the whole story like I say I had no idea that his brother was actually a missionary Yeah, and it would be way easier for people to go, well, she she needs to get what she deserves. Well, you know, that's that's man's law. He felt it more important to shed grace upon her. It touched the judge. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you can go back and look up video clips of this on YouTube. Oh, yeah, it's all over the place. But it was mind-boggling to me. And then I asked the guys at Bible study at the mission, I said, how many of you could made that same statement? Now, I'm not saying I could have if it had been one of my kids, Mm -hmm. but that's what I'm to try to attain to. That's what you're tasked to do. It was. But we think we're afraid of grace getting out of hand. Yeah. We are. We don't want it to be accessible for everyone. No. We we just want it to be accessible to people that, you know, are good, honest Christians. I'll share with y'all real short. I'll try to make this short. But years ago, 
I had a food service business, and I was in a refrigerated truck all the time, so I listened to a lot before podcasts, so I listened to talk radio or listened to preachers, and well, anyway, I listened to the show where the guy on the show had spent multiple, multiple days in a row with Ted Bundy, the serial killer, before he was executed, because one, he wanted to figure out what made him tick. The guy's a sociologist, I believe is what he was, but he's also a real solid believer. But anyway, so I listened to this for like two days, man. And uh, right at the end of it, he said that before Ted Bundy died, he just stopped in the middle of a session and told him, he said, I, I need to give my life to God. And he said, man, he got down on his face and repented. And, you know, at that point in my life, Man, I was offended, dude. Just slapped the radio off, didn't you? Yeah, I was like, that guy, that guy? I mean, you're going to say that you led that guy to Why'd you even try? You know, why bother? And I had that attitude, man. But what it did was it challenged me. That's why I love this podcast median, because it challenged me. Something I heard made me dig deeper. And I think that's when I truly started understanding grace, because even though I was offended and you know what? This guy was offended because he said his first thought was, I got to baptize this guy. Okay, so but it made me dig deeper and go, man, what did Jesus really say? You know, what was his whole purpose? I brought this up in Bible study, and one of the guys there immediately said, Man, that guy's a murderer. Bible says, Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not kill. And I asked him, in a loving way, I said, Man, have you ever told a lie? He just looked at me. I said, If you haven't, then you just told one by saying you've never lied. Scripture says that, you know, you break one James, one yeah. part of the law, and you broke it all. And he said, yeah, I, I guess I have told a lie. I said, you ever lusted after a woman? He's like, okay, we can move on. Don't ask me that. <laughs> Don't ask me that. So why is it so difficult for us to understand grace? I think it's because it cost us something. It cost us something. Elijah, you got that deal that the guy wrote from Red Letter Christians about... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, uh, he quoted that theologian. It's in an article that, you know, has a pretty precarious title. First, I read it, and I was like, ooh, that seems a little out there. And it's uh, the title says, Why Jesus Followers Should Be Prison Abolitionists. And that would make a lot of people's skin curl because, you know, oh, God, we can't shut down the prisons, and, you know. Anyway, the article's really good, and it's the title is just an attention grabber. The guy really breaks down a lot of stuff in there, but after you read it for a minute, it's really a really good you know exposition on grace and mercy. And he quotes this. He's talking about you know he talks about the thief on the cross and Jesus and the thief on the cross, but then he jumps down and he quotes this, this theologian. And at first, I read this like three times because I was like, you know, it just blew me to the floor. And uh, the theologian's name is Rachel Held Evans. And it says, uh, We could not become like God, so God became like us. God showed us how to heal instead of kill, how to mend instead of destroy, how to love instead of hate, how to live instead of long for more. When we nailed God to a tree, God forgave. And when we buried God in the ground, God got up. Perhaps we're afraid that if we get out of the way, this grace thing might get out of hand. Well, guess what? It already has. Grace got out of hand the moment the God of the universe 
hung on a Roman cross, and with outstretched hands looked out upon those who had hung him there and declared, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. <clears throat> and yeah, it's powerful, man. And, and you know, if we can understand it, then and we can live it, then we literally can change this world. Grace is obvious in a person when they reflect Christ and not religion. The very act of serving the Lord is their worship. In John 1, verse 14, and y'all don't get paranoid. I'm going to throw too much Bible in this, but we got to have enough to explain. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The literal meaning of dwelt is he tabernacled with us. He basically pitched a tent and lived with us. And when we repent and we're baptized and Jesus is in our heart, he dwells within us. He tabernacles. So why do we not see grace in our everyday lives that often. Why, why was it such an unusual event for me on the news to see this guy do that and it bring me to tears? I think our answer is, is that, you know, those of us that claim to be born again, and hey, I'm not judging, I can't tell whether somebody's born again or not, but I think w- with us that claim that, It's easy for us to go through religious traditions and ceremonies. Like I said, we can build God a dwelling place and go visit him when it's convenient. And and we act like it's some gigantic deal to like go to church every Sunday. Like someone told me the other day, well, I've, I've been every Sunday for 10 years. Okay. I could sit in a garage for a, every day for a year. I would never turn into a car. Exactly. I would just be sitting in a garage. When we look at grace, it automatically, the definition should change us, okay? So then it should change how we even worship. Romans 12.1 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Well, wait a minute. I thought worship was where we had to have a worship leader. And he played music and projected it up on the screen. Yeah, some former American Idol contestant to come in and sing for us. And in a concert, we just kept singing the same songs over and over and over. And that that was bringing glory to God. You know, you might get some goosebumps, you know, if they hit the note just right. Well, don't get me wrong. I like spiritual songs. And Colossians and Philippians both... Paul tells us that we're, when we gather together, to if someone has a hymn, let him sing it. If someone has a word, let them share it. We're supposed to share uh, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with one another. But pure worship is serving the Lord. Yep. So how do we serve him? Well, you know, one day the biggest thing that's required of you is when you're about to be angry with the person that gets your order, and I'm talking to me. The order wrong at the drive-thru, instead of being angry, you shed grace upon them. Mm-hmm. 
It may be uh, you're sitting down eating lunch and the Lord puts in your spirit, give a big tip to the waitress and you don't even have to know why she's hurting. Or it may be that someone in that situation, God reveals them to you that they're hurting and you pray with them, you minister to them. If we actually have, if, if you, if you actually apply this grace message to your life, that kid, Doing that, you know, forgiving that cop wouldn't have been that big of a deal. No, because it flows through us. Be like, oh yeah, that's what exactly what we're supposed to do. Not oh my god, can't even imagine. You know, which it, I mean, that's how we're supposed to be. It is, and, and you know, we get into it, our Bible studies are interesting because it's a mixture of homeless people and people we've took off the street that lives at the mission and we're starting to get some just regular normal people if there is such a thing as a regular normal person the fact is we're all in need of redemption and we all need a redeemer but we're starting to get a real good cross section of people super diverse group it is and then like this Thanksgiving uh, man we had some awesome volunteers that came and helped and you know, out of all the ones that came to help, I really think we're going to have this one couple and their son particularly are about to just dig in. And uh, and they came to see what we do, and we had enough volunteers. So basically what they did was they just ministered to people got and to got to observe and got to know people. And, man, the Lord really touched them. You know, that's like the lady told me. She said, uh I don't want to go. I don't want to be a, a holiday uh, servant. I don't want to just go on Thanksgiving or Christmas. Uh, and I said, that's awesome. That's what we need is people who will come in and engage and, and build. And I, But then I was real quick. I said, however, thank God for the holiday volunteers. Yeah. You know, hey. Everyone's sent there for a reason. Everybody's sent there for a reason. And, you know, I taught on this uh, Thanksgiving. I preached on this Thanksgiving right before lunch. And the effect that it had on the volunteers was amazing because every one of them said they'd never heard anything like that and that it touched their heart. Well, that's God. That's not me. That's God. But what if we took this exercise of grace absolutely into our everyday life because you know one of the kindest guys i know and i've become really good friends with this guy and becoming even better friends now that we've figured out his great love of music so we're going to start writing music he and i and lodger together and he's going to help lodger learn the guitar he's one of the most charitable guys i know he never has a bad moment he's always smiling and he's an atheist yeah you know why he's an atheist because all the suffering in the world, he just can't understand why a God that's supposed to be so good that could stop this doesn't. Mm-hmm. Which we and then we can't. We all we have to see that side of it because so many people will be like, "Oh my God!" You know how we like to think of people like that as is stupid, but you're, that's two thousand years plus worth of philosophy that we still. Just we can still ask that question. Sure, we can. And for the most part, instead of trying to engage with someone like this, 
religious people go, oh, he's evil, he's an atheist, he don't believe in God. Mm -hmm. Just write him off. Well, no, don't write him off. Let the grace, the divine touch on your heart reflect in your life that he may see his need. One of the coolest things that happened since I've known this guy is he helped us put raised beds at the mission where we can raise organic vegetables. Well, he had came over, and we were in the back, and our broccoli was huge. It was bigger. Our, what do you call them, crowns were bigger than the heads were bigger than stuff you could even buy in the grocery store. Gigantic broccoli. And his were about half our size. And he looks at it, and he goes, man, why are these broccoli heads so big on yours? And mine are a quarter of the size. Same island, same yeah, dirt. Same island, same dirt, same seeds. He helped plant them. He helped make the dirt mixture. And, you know, real quickly, and this wasn't just my smart el- smart elicness. <laughs> I believe it was the Holy Spirit. I said, hey, bro, because we pray over ours. He got this look in his eyes, and I said, hey, you want us to come by and pray over yours? He goes, yeah, that might help. Little bitty steps like that. Yeah. Just engaging him where he is, not judging him for the fact that he's an atheist. He helps people all the time. He's charitable. So he's got one aspect of it down that most people are already, you know, been. It's like I asked you today. I was like, hey, do people teach, you know, an anti works message so they don't have to do anything? And it really seems that way. You know, you, people will knock you upside the head with the verses about in the Bible that say, you know, mm, you know, faith, not works. Yeah. But it James also says that faith, faith without works is dead. Yeah. Like, you have to do something at some point. You cannot just be an armchair you no. know, theologian that goes to church every Sunday. And how many people along the way before... We ran before he ran into us, just wrote him off, and they didn't get, you know, help from them, because he was like, "Oh, they think I'm an atheist. They don't want my help." Yeah. And then we were just like, "Hey, yeah, anybody's, you know, we don't judge." No, because I it's mean, like the the Muslim imam that's been uh, donating so much stuff. His f- food feeds homeless people just as good as anybody's food. <laughs> it does. And, and you know, we have an agreement that he and I, once we get past the holidays, are going to sit down and start having coffee together. So Maybe you know, we'll even get him on the podcast. Maybe so. I'd love to have him on the podcast. And some of you right now are just ruffled because you're saying, no, we need to blow all the Muslims off the face of the earth. No, yeah. we need to com- convert them to true grace and Christianity. And is what needs to happen. And if and together is the only way we're going to change our communities. That's it. You know, when he first called me and asked me if we would take this stuff from this mass, this is a big mosque down And he here. was freaked out. It's like a regional oh, uh, yeah. for the whole area. And At least Galveston County. Oh, no, it's even, they come from everywhere really? to this big mosque for, like, leadership oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they had this banquet. And he called and he asked, you know, could you guys, we're going to have a lot of food left over. Will you guys use it? And I said, sure. And he goes, for real? I was like, yes, sir. And he goes, I didn't think you'd take it because it's from the mosque. And I said, why wouldn't I take it? Something wrong with it? He's (laughs) like, well, most people, you know, they won't take anything from us. And I said, why did you call us? And he said, everywhere I ask, I ask about people that are doing 
something to try to change this community and he said streetscape ministries the name always comes up yep well thank god because we're not that good so (laughs) we're trying uh but people tell us we do we're doing a good job but you know we're perfectionists well and and it's difficult my wife labors there every day from breakfast until way after lunch yeah Uh, three or four o'clock yeah and and we deal with a lot of massive problems and heartaches and trauma and And knuckleheads knuckleheads we have them too so a lot of times our view from the inside is we're not making that big of a difference even though we know we're called to try but our mission is 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 not just for right here it's to try to help people engage with one another so we can understand each other better and ultimately i'm not going to hide my mission my mission is going to be to lift jesus high mm-hmm. but i don't have to rule out gay people i don't have to rule out muslims mm-hmm. i don't i don't get to pick and choose because the divine touch that's in my heart should reflect in my life i also don't have to compromise what i believe is true no and and you don't like we're afraid to have to do that but in what we've done we have not met one instance where we had to where where we no. didn't had to you know you know for the, you know because what we do is like the i mean to us it's like you know it's still hard to do what exactly what Jesus said none of us you're ever going to do it perfectly but this kind of message just seems so like simple and for so many it's like better to just skip to the parts of the bible that you know pick and choose would suit you better yeah and whatever fits your ideology. And we build doctrines based on what makes us comfortable and stuff that we can live with and and you know What's really odd with me is some of the most fierce opposition that we run up against, even through the teaching and stuff we send out, places that we're asked to minister, which aren't that many anymore. (laughs) But, you know, somebody always asks me what my stand on abortion is. And I tell them I'm absolutely 100% pro-life. And they go, oh, praise God, praise God. I'm glad you're pro-life. And I'm like, what's yours? And they say, well, of course, well, of pro-life. course I'm pro-life. And I was like, really? Okay, how do you feel about the death penalty? Well, well, no, wait a minute. Now, that's a different story. No, it's not. It's life. It's life. So or what do you, how do you feel about killing people in wars that are not fought to free anyone? To, to It's not like we're fighting the Nazis away from taking all over the world. How do you feel about that? Well, you know, that's not that's not being pro-life. It is, because every one time one of our precious sons or daughters of our nation... Or their nation. ...dies. And something that could be prevented. It's something that could be prevented. Because the guys that are having to kill one another, man, when it all boils down to it, somebody's pulling their strings. There is a difference. If we hadn't have stepped into World War II when we did... The world would have been ruled by the Japanese and the Nazis, and I really feel like the Nazis probably at some point would have overtook the Imperial Japanese Army and it had just been Nazi. Mm-hmm. However, there is a time to wield a sword. Yeah. But we can't just wield it every time we need 
milk. as a deterrent. Now to scare, like even with the, the what's the death penalty, but a deterrent. I mean, we think by killing people, we're going to make someone else not kill somebody because they're scared of the death penalty. That's not true. It doesn't work, and neither does, you know, deterrent foreign policy. It doesn't. Because if it worked long ago when we started doing it... It would have been solved. We wouldn't have problems now. So, I mean, if you do, if you think about much of this very hard, it's I don't see how you could reason... Especially, you know, what we do foreign policy-wise. No. And then much less the death penalty. Well, it's, it's just like, you know, with the death penalty. If one innocent person is put to death for something they didn't do, that's enough reason for us not to have one. And there's been many put to death. Many, many, many. Many. And, and keep in mind that man's judgment is imperfect. And I'm not saying that someone shouldn't pay for their crimes. We should, one, do everything we can do to make sure they are guilty. And often that gets uh, lost in the shuffle of pride and and from everybody involved with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one easy thing that we could do is, is say, you know what, we're not going to execute anybody else. What's worse? I mean, if I was facing death or being locked up forever for the rest of my life, I would rather die. I think the other's far worse of a punishment. However— And and, the, and I hate to cut you off, but rehabilitation, we do not care about. No, we don't. And, and see, and that's another thing that grace spurs, because our whole prison system is about locking people up, and it's an industry of of— billions and billions and billions of dollars where uh, Grace's view of a penitentiary system would be a place of penance and a place where you actually can rehabilitate somebody. It's no different with all the people we have locked up for drugs, man. I mean, we need to be able to have a place of rehabilitation rather than taking somebody out of society and totally shutting them off without any help for five or six years and then unleashing them back on society. Uh, I had a friend that went to prison. The first time he went, he told me that he learned how to perfect being a criminal in the federal penitentiary system. He said, I know how to do all kind of things now, which, you know what? He came back out and, you know, heightened his crime career Mm -hmm. before he went back again. You know, and... I think if if Jesus were alive today, he would be in the prisons every weekend. Oh, no, he would because you know why? Why did he use an example of the uh, you know the judgment of the sheep and goats? He said, "I was in prison and you didn't visit me." Yeah, <laughs> I think he would be there every weekend. I think he would be out there. You know, he would be at these ice holding facilities comforting children. I mean, he would be in a complete disgust of a lot of the way we do things. I believe that. But now also, I'm not going to sit here and argue with everybody that follows lockstep with all these policies that are so politically popular today. I don't want to argue. Be glad to sit down, like it says in, in Isaiah and reason together. Be glad to sit down and tell you why I believe this way and listen to what you believe. 
arguing does not do anything but isolate more. And we're so divided now as a people until issues that I'd felt like seven, eight, ten years ago were way better. They're back in our face again from racism to all these things that divide us. It's hard to have a decent conversation with somebody that and doesn't agree with you because they immediately want to go to name-calling and comparing the worst against the worst and instead of reasoning what we should really try to do as a society. And some of the most dangerous things is just not like, we, like racism's in our face, but just how hateful we are to those who look at things differently than we do absolutely. is absolutely like completely abhorrent. You see, like any time. I mean, there's literally there's people they raise their kids to hate certain, you know, whether it be atheist or whether it be gay people. We experience it where we live in the inner city. Yeah, and just because we're white. And then you have the ones back. You got people in East Texas. Well, you have them here. Uh, Yeah, I know everywhere. everywhere. Like you raise your kids to hate this group, but like this group, hate this group, but like this group, and then politics into that takes it a step deeper so you have these two sides of america that you're i mean you're either for us or against us completely 100 percent. you can't have an idea that you know crosses the ideological border you can't have an idea you know on the other side you can't take any stand you have to either be completely for our side or completely for their side there's no middle ground whatsoever on any issue and it's destroying the whole fabric of our society and and that's one of the reasons that that god led us to name this podcast the wilderness voice because we feel like we're supposed to bring issues that would be the same like john the baptist crying in the wilderness he said i'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness make straight the way of the lord and we've, I'm not saying I'm John the Baptist or Elijah, but we feel like Wilderness Voice is appropriate because we are doing our best to make known these things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're not afraid because none of us receive any money. So yeah. you can get mad and not listen to us. And, you know, yeah. it, it doesn't really matter. However, our wish is is for you to engage us rather than just get mad. We're, we're going to say things that's going to tweak you. And we, like, plead for you to email us. And, you know, you can contact the blog. You can message me on Facebook. Like, we completely, wholeheartedly support, you know, feedback where we can bounce ideas. Have you know, this is a This is an open, like, we're not, you know, the... The sage on the stage. We're not. No. We we don't have all the answers. If you think if you disagree with us, I am completely and so is Dad completely open to talk about it. And um, and we're not going to judge you if you have an idea that I just I don't like. I'm not going to be like, well, you're a bad person. No, we're not. That's what this is about. Is not being like that. And like Dad said, we don't think we're like John the Baptist, but I think that we're supposed to be like that. Absolutely. You know, be the be- person crying from the wilderness. We're and preparing a way for the kingdom. Exactly. There. Preparing, you know, making the way straight. And we can make this place better now. The kingdom of God's not a future concept. Mm-hmm. It can be a present reality. 
It should be a present reality. It is a present reality, and we're who brings that forward. Mm -hmm. So we believe there's answers for all these ills that are plaguing our nation and society. And Anytime the church has done anything monumentally, and I mean the true church, they felt as if their world was coming to a crashing halt. I feel like ours is. And I think that's the moments when we're actually supposed to make a lot of change. Look at Paul. And, you know, living right up, and Paul and John, you know, the first few, you know, church fathers living right up into the, the fall of Rome. Yeah. That was the end of the world then. Yeah. And, you know, and you can go throughout history and look at where these guys, at Martin Luther and the fall of the Roman Catholic, you know, church system and, and the Reformation. Like, these guys were living in a time where they just felt like it couldn't get any worse and, like, everything was liberated. At those points, I think that's when we're supposed to step in and do what we're supposed to do. Really fulfill what we're supposed to be doing. And we're supposed to do it on a level of compelling people to look and challenging them. But importantly, we're also supposed to do it on a daily level at our jobs, wherever we go to school, wherever we work. And we should be doing it like uh, happens every day at Streetscape. It's like, and the big meme this this Thanksgiving was like, you know, don't talk about anything at Thanksgiving. You know, we're we're taught as kids, what what do you not ask people? Politics and religion. That's what I want to talk about when I meet you. I want to talk about politics. I want to talk about religion and you know philosophy, which is kind of like the both of those. And why we teach people not that's that that mentality is what created the problem we have today it is. not talking about it does not make issues go away no, it does not. it's like leaky you know a dripping pipe's not going to get any better it will not fix itself <laughs> it does not and that mentality has completely created this you know so divided america we live in it has well hey guys y'all think about this not just think about it, research it. We have so much knowledge available at our fingertips. The definition of grace, the divine touch upon the human heart, and the reflection of it in the life thereof. Look at it, pray about it, research it. And we're going to do more on grace. Uh, however, our next podcast is going to be a little bit irritating the great some. christmas special is yeah, coming yeah. up yeah we're going to do the uh we're going to do a podcast very quickly on the roots and origins of the christmas that we celebrate today so we're going to take a total objective view with it mm-hmm. and yep. show you points and principles and let you make a difference and, uh, yeah make a decision you, for uh, yourself yeah, decision and um yeah i'm really excited for the next one so if you're one of these people that just would likes to close their ears and put the blindfold on and pretend things you know are a certain way and you know that's just the case then you might if you feel that way you might want to skip the next episode but i strongly encourage you to listen because you know this is stuff that uh really has i didn't start to realize until about two or three years ago that dad showed me and it completely changed the way i look at christmas and um interesting stuff very historical you know fact-based founded 
podcast coming up in the future. Yep, very quickly. And uh, we're, we're brainstorming names, but it's gonna it's gonna be our Christmas special. May name it the Empire Strikes Back or something. Like yeah, something interesting. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna let Elijah give you the ways to get in contact, Facebook page, and yeah, all that stuff. Always. So I will be signing off. So God bless, and remember, we'd love to hear from you and hear your feedback. All right, and uh, you know, as always, guys, it's uh, guys and girls, whatever you choose to identify as. Uh, the blog's still up. I hope to have. Um, I'm going to put Dad's newest two Bible studies on there. Um, I'm done with my LSAT, so I'm about to be full and heavy on you know the social media aspect and the contacting you guys aspect of the podcast. So um, as always, the Facebook page, uh, Wilderness Voice Podcast. Um, from there, you can get to the link to our blog. Um, hope to be getting some of the newer episodes on YouTube soon. And uh, I think that's it. Like I said, please contact us if you have any questions. Um, any of the stuff I you know quoted in here today, I can get you links for it. So absolutely, uh, as you know, and check out the Streetscape page. We just had a big Thanksgiving. I like to call it extravaganza. I don't know. But uh, where we fed a lot of people. There's pictures on there. uh, New Bible study on there. So uh, check it out. We love y'all guys, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.